Our podcast today is brought to you by MedMastery, a teaching platform that trains you to solve any variety of patient problems you encounter in practice. They offer CME-accredited courses on a huge variety of topics, including ultrasound. There are also fun case-based workshops with questions to test your knowledge. Some of the more advanced echo modules include right heart echo, prosthetic valves, and TEE. I really like how the modules are set up. They keep my interest really easy to learn from. This is a great resource that many residency programs already use to train their clinicians. You can get Get a 15% discount on your lifetime subscription if you go to medmastery.com slash ultrasound gel. That's M-E-D-M-A-S-T-E-R-Y dot com slash ultrasound gel. Ultrasound gel podcast. Hello and welcome back to the Ultrasound Gel podcast. This is a special edition podcast and that means we have a very special guest. Today we are joined with Larry Israel, MD. This is a incredible guy. He's a physician, an internist, certified in point of care ultrasound, but also an entrepreneur and an author. And we are here today to talk about his book, which is titled The Pocus Manifesto, Expanding the Limits of Our Physical Exam with Point of Care Ultrasound. I'm joined by my lovely co-host Cray Bolger and we are here to pick Larry's brain about this recent endeavor and this awesome publication. Now right off the bat I want to say Larry isn't paying us to do this. This is not an advertisement. We haven't gotten any free copies of the book or anything. We have simply admired his work and thought it would be excellent to discuss with the greater POCUS community because it's important stuff that he's putting out there. So Larry welcome to the podcast. Cray great to see you. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah. So right off the bat, why don't you just tell us a little bit about this book? Like what inspired you to do it and, you know, what's it all about? Yeah. So basically when I was a resident in internal medicine, I, I uh, had a patient who was hypotensive tachycardic and one of the ICU doctors came, which turned out to be one of my mentors. And he did a, you know, head to toe POCUS exam. And I just thought it was incredible. He was basically answered all the questions that I had planned to answer through all the traditional measures, echo and CAT scan, everything. And so that's kind of how I got interested in POCUS. And then I started learning myself. Then I went through the CHEST and Society of Hospital Medicine certification program and got certified. So, you know, I was getting better and better at it, more experienced. And I'm working now primarily in the cardiac step-down unit at our hospital. So it's a lot of patients with congestive heart failure, post-heart attack care. And, you know, I would use POCUS and I'd be able to see the pulmonary edema, you know, see if the patient had reduced EF, you know, see the JVD dilated and see the IVC, things like that, as opposed to just inferring it from sounds or skin changes, you know. And so I kind of started to feel like there was almost like a language barrier, you know, like like I had somehow had an experience where I could go to the future and see what diagnostic medicine is. And then I got transported back and I'm like, this is so cool, you guys, I'm I'm telling you there, I'm seeing the pulmonary edema, you know, and, and and then the doctor would be like, no, 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 there's no pulmonary edema. I just listened. It's a real back to the future moment where you have the, the technology of the future and you can't quite get other people to understand what's going on. I love that metaphor too. It's a language barrier that sums up the frustrations I think Mike and I feel on a daily basis trying to convince the residents that it can be so much faster and easier. Like we're actually in the cadaver lab now. They're like, but you don't need ultrasound cardiocentesis. I'm like, well, but you a needle going at the heart and it feels like there's a language barrier you're like you don't understand 
Exactly, exactly. And it's it's not really a criticism of any one clinician. It's more of just like, you guys just have to see the light, you know, and ho- however we can get you to see the light is would be just, you would be a convert. That basically was like, all right, well, clearly there's lots of research already done. It's clearly better than a stethoscope. I mean, there's just really no question about that. And so it's like, how do you get the message out in a, in a way that clinician, anybody, you know, from a nurse practitioner to a physician to whoever would actually be interested in reading about it and understanding like why is it so much better you know and like what is the research behind it how how much better can you detect disease and so that's kind of how it started you know and there's other little tidbits along the way like I was at my OB when we had our our second baby and the the radiologist came in and and she heard from the resident that I did ultrasound and I said yeah I do lung ultrasound and she said you can do lung ultrasound so (laughs) things like that I'm like 25 years after the research came out we still clearly have not done a good job getting the message out. So that was really the inspiration for this book. And it was more of like a why focus, not a how focus. There's already lots of good how-to books out there. Yeah, that's a really good point because when you look at this book, it doesn't look like a lot of other textbooks. And I really appreciated the design that you put into it. it it's a beautiful book. Everything from the text and the visual graphics, everything is really nicely done so that it's, it's really easy to read and enjoyable to look at too. So way to go on that. Did you have like a design team that you were working with? Did you do a lot of that yourself? No, I, I did everything myself. The, the cover, I wanted it to somehow portray kind of seeing the light. When you use Pocus, you suddenly see see the light. And so that's why it looks kind of like a flashlight shining the light and a dark background. The person holding the stethoscope is a very, very, very rough rendition of Daniel Lichtenstein, the kind of the founder of Pocus. So I was kind of like an homage to him. I was fortunate enough to talk with him and interview him a lot for this book. He's a, quite a character. I think it's really interesting. I like that you had which I don't think exists anywhere, like across the board in medicine, that you had that person that kind of opened the window for you by coming and doing that like comprehensive point of care. And I love that you're like, I was going to order these 20 tests. Maybe we only need five of those tests. Cause I think a lot of maybe the bad side of focus, if you will, is where we are like, I think people, zealots maybe think you only need ultrasound. And I think it's just a way to get your patient the more accurate care. And it's not that the rest of medicine is useless. You order more appropriate tests based on better exam findings, perhaps. You were fortunate to have that person. Like, how do you get through to the people that aren't that person, right? The ones who are like, I'm more comfortable and confident with my stethoscope than this. And I've done my job for 15 to 20 years without this extra tool. Like, what do you think the key is to reaching those people? Because obviously, like Mike and I are like, we'll be your biggest cheerleaders and, you know, we'll ultrasound anything and everything. But what about those people who are like, this is craziness? Yeah, that's a great question. And it comes up all the time. I mean, but I I think kind of to answer it in a more broader sense, it's like, all right, if you believe in like the scientific method, if you believe in doing the best for your patient, using the best tools, the most highly accurate tools to come up with a diagnosis, the quickest and most efficient way possible to prevent unnecessary antibiotics, things like that, then clearly this is more effective than a stethoscope. My approach to that, I guess, a couple of years ago was a little bit different because I wrote this article during the beginning of COVID when I felt like it was kind of a tacit omission by the medical system that the stethoscope is not providing hardly any information when at least at our hospital during the beginnings of COVID, nobody was doing a stethoscope exam, you know, because they were concerned about getting close to the patient, understandably. But a lot of people were still doing POCUS. And, you know, obviously you can see lung changes really 
related to COVID. And, and so I wrote this kind of tough article criticizing the stethoscope and I got this most like absurd reactions, but like very knee jerk. How dare you insult this sacred tool and all this stuff and how these young doctors are just obsessed with technology. They're going to ruin medicine. When I was actually writing the book, I came across this one guy named James Hope. He was one of the earliest cardiologists in the modern sense, where he really was the first to describe all these murmurs and, and where they come from. And his approach was very different. His approach was basically he would write out a very detailed description of what the patient had, like aortic stenosis, the, the valve is going to be narrow. And then he would put out his journal next to the, the, ca the cadaver and do the autopsy and all the people around him would watch. And, and basically his work spoke for him. So I feel like that's a more, a better approach to try to get people on your side as opposed to kind of criticizing the way they do it. Because I, I feel like once they have their poke kiss, like Dr. Neelam Sony uh, called it, like PO dash kiss, you know, it's like your first pocus is when you really see the power of pocus and what it can do. And like, wow, you know, this totally changed what we were doing for this patient. So like once a clinician sees that, I just don't see how they would could not be interested. Yeah. And, and Larry, for our listeners, just to lay out the book a little bit, I realize I haven't done that yet. It's really organized into different exams and different parts of the body. So there's, there's two different parts focusing on thoracic ultrasound and the lung and each chapter is going through a different pathology. And then also the next part gets onto echoes and different pathologies and other cardiac pathologies. But the beautiful thing about how it's written is that in each chapter, it starts with like the historical basis of what we did and how we came about with our physical exam findings. And I really appreciated how you dug into the history and some of the early evidence and had kind of a, a learning from our history take on POCUS and how we got to where it is. Did that require a lot of different research? And, and why did you choose to include so much history in this? Yeah, well, kind of on the same argument as like convincing people of the power of this, I felt like we re I really had to understand like what the physical exam, how it came to be, and what is the evidence to support it to show that this is basically a transition of the physical exam into the modern area, not, not like a new technological thing that will replace the patient-physician relationship. So I think what's important that I learned that was important is to understand like the way these techniques were developed was by Lenac, among others, you know, 200 years ago. And basically what they did was they just waited till patients were about to die, essentially, listened to their lungs on their deathbed. And then once the patient died, then they would do an autopsy. And But what that resulted in was physical exam findings that tend to be specific, but not sensitive. You know, you're, you're detecting very, very end stage severe disease that manifest with very obvious crackles or murmurs so that if you hear those things, you can be like, yeah, it's, it's, it might be a diagnostic of a disease, but if you don't hear them, you really can't say much. And that's kind of the theme of all the physical exam findings that, you know, whether you're listening for murmurs, crackles, things like that, it's like the sensitivity is horrible. If you take an objective look at these numbers, like it would not pass any sort of muster of any intervention nowadays, like 20% sensitive. I mean, that I think was really important to one to understand exactly how what the limitations are. And that's not to say it's still it's useless. I mean, I think for certain 
conditions, the stethoscope can still be useful, but to see like how much better focus is for pulling edema or many other things uh, is really helpful, I think. Uh, Lenek, his biographer who wrote his book, uh, translated into English, I mean, he talked about how uh, Lenek had, quote, achieved the wish of the ancient philosophers to place a window into the breast through which we can see the precise state of things within. So it's like clearly like that sentence is like, you know, they were trying to figure out a way to see what's inside. Even the name, the stethoscope, there's a lot of commenting about why he chose scope versus phone, because if it's for hearing, it should have a, a suffix P-H-O-N-E, phone, whereas for seeing things, it's scope. And so people were debating, like there was a famous article in JAMA in 1916, around 100 years after the stethoscope invented, some doctor wrote in and was like, why do we call it the stethoscope? It should be called the stethoscope. Why don't we just admit our mistake and explain, kind of like presume that Lenek was foreseeing the future. I don't know how accurate that is, but that was a thought experiment that maybe he was naming it because he would eventually wanted to see inside. All those to say is like, clearly this is a progression of our physical exam over time. It's not some brand new thing. That's kind of the way I think about it. I think that's really a cool concept. Like, you know, we confirmed everything a long time ago by autopsy and now thinking of that in like modern day medicine and not that we've evolved chronologically that far from then, but physically we've evolved in our practice a lot since then. Obviously, if we only confirm things by autopsy now, like wouldn't fly so much with the general public. As you're kind of mentioning the vision of the stethoscope to see inside the body, I think ultrasound really gives you that, I don't want to say an autopsy, but a live look and gives you a dynamic ability to assess, right? You can't go down for a CAT scan every 30 minutes. And I think one thing that's really important, and as you're kind of saying and convincing the naysayers, is just focusing on the evidence and focusing on the outcomes. Where do you think, like if you had to prognosticate about ultrasound, like how far along are we to this global acceptance and to having it really have the support of evidence-based medicine in the grand scheme of things? Like, do you think we're still in the early kind of rise of that curve or do you think we're kind of hitting our apex and hopefully hitting that tipping point where everybody hops on the boat? Right. I mean, I think for certain diseases, the evidence is overwhelming and clear. And I mean, at this point, it's like repeating studies at different hospitals, different countries. They all seem to come to the same conclusion with pulmonary disease, with cardiac disease. I mean, there's certainly some diseases like pulmonary embolus where you can't really directly diagnose it. And those limitations should be explained and understood just like with any imaging study. But for the diseases, I think for cardiac pulmonary for gallbladder for a lot of the abdominal disease. I mean, the evidence is so clear. I I don't think that needs to be developed anymore. I think it needs to be more explained to people and make them aware and then figure out ways to show them how to learn and do it. Because I think a huge barrier is being able to take a busy clinician who did not do it in residency, did not do it in fellowship and say, this is how you need to learn. And, And like the Society of Hospital Medicine, they have a great program, but it's expensive. It takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of intrinsic motivation to be able to do all those things, go to the conferences, submit 250 images for approval. So I think that's one of the biggest barriers. Overall, though, in the grand scheme of things, I feel like we're just scratching the surface of what POCUS can do. You know, another broad theme in the book that I, I've came across over and over is like the things we measure and the inventions that we develop into auscultation, for example, like Lenek, it's really limited by the technology of the time. You know, Lenek was limited by no electronics and all he had was sound and he figured out to make a tube to listen. 
And so like all of his findings are basically limited by the fact that it's using a tube. And so now that we're in the POCUS era, we have ultrasound. I feel like we need to reevaluate everything. Like what does it even mean to do a physical exam? What does it mean to do an inspection of skin? I mean, if, if you go to the doctor and you have a bald head and he looks at your skin uh, on your head and he sees a black spot, I mean, that's like a screening test in, in, in some regards, right? You're like looking at the skin. Where, well, why don't we, like, what is the evidence to just look inside in a healthy person at their lungs, at their heart? So these are questions I feel like need to be answered and, and studied in, now that we have this new technology. All right. Well, we're going to cut it off there for part one. We were having so much fun talking to Larry that it ended up being a pretty long discussion. So stay tuned for part two, which will be out in a few weeks. And hold on tight because there's a lot of good stuff left. Until then, my friends, we will talk to you later. More, for sure. More, gel. More, for sure. More, gel. More, for sure. More, gel. More, for sure. More, gel.